Well, welcome to the Broken Shovel Podcast, homesteading for a sustainable future. Uh, my name is Lucas, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Eric. Hello, Eric. How are you today? I, I am good. I, I just want to comment on the irony of you. We, we got sidetracked while you queued up the music, and I mm -hmm. sidetracked you so badly you forgot to hit play. Yeah. Wait, no. I hit play. Oh, I, I didn't do it live. <laughs> <laughs> we. I heard the music. I didn't hear the music. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Well, there's there's no music today, folks. Yes. Unless you really like the song, and I'll just play it. Uh, yeah, I didn't add it to the recording. I just played it in my headset. Uh, great. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> so, today, we are talking about recycling here in Vermont and around the world, the industry that it is. And uh, we, we've got a – this is uh, – this, this was eye-opening. This was very interesting. I learned a lot. I'm really glad you suggested this one, Eric. Yes. Yes, I like my subtitle of recycling, where it goes, question mark, frowning face, happy face. <laughs> All right. Well, let's rinse those bottles and rinse those cans and get started. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're going to kind of start in China, uh, and we're going to talk about – the recycling as an industry, uh, which is uh, something uh, I, I guess I never really thought about it as an industry, uh, which is my my mistake. Um, but in, of course, it has to be an industry. Uh, somebody has to be making money off of it for it to happen. Uh, and in, in China was uh, kind of the global leader for place, you know, for recycling to be sent and processed. And in 2017, the Chinese recycling market collapsed, you know, kind of uh, triggered by the national sword policy in 2017. Uh, now, the national sword policy uh, significantly restricted the import of various solid waste, including most plastics. This policy aimed to protect China's environment and boost its domestic recycling industry. But it kind of shot them in the foot or shot the globe in the foot. Uh, but uh and and the recycling industry had to move. Yeah, because uh, they, they were buy they 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 both they would they, they bought and processed a huge amount of material from around the world. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they they had uh, justifiable environmental concerns. Their growing economy increased their and which meant their their own waste was increasing, which we've talked about recently. Uh, led to environmental concerns about pollution from imported and often contaminated recyclables. Um, and then uh, much of the imported recycling was low quality and, as I said, contaminated. Uh, with non-recyclable materials, making it difficult and expensive to even process it. Right. Uh, I mean, there's so, a reason that it was getting sent somewhere else because all the stuff that could be easily processed, like, and we'll go into some of this when we go into the numbers of, I mean, because the easy process stuff can be processed cheaply domestically in, like, the United States or other, and then we send the stuff that can't be processed so well, either A, overseas or b just send it directly to the land yep and uh you kind of the fallout of this collapse is what is going to lead to the rest of this episode um basically sudden closure of the chinese market uh disrupted global well, falling prices for fewer buyers the value of recyclables plummeted and it made it less economical for some countries and communities to 
collect and process them. Uh, there was increased landfill waste. Countries reported to landfilling recyclables due to the lack of alternative markets. And then, of course, uh, it also led to an investment in domestic recycling. Uh, the collapse encouraged countries to invest in their own recycling uh, infrastructures. Oh, sorry, the dog is moving around. Uh, and technologies to reduce reliance on foreign markets. Um, and, you know, so there has been a partial recovery and a diversification, something that should have been there uh, the whole time. Um, and, but, you know, after that initial shock in 2017, uh, some countries have found new markets for their recyclables, uh, while others are focusing on improving domestic processing capacity. Uh, so basically, the collapse of China's recycling market served as a wake up call right, for the global community. It highlighted the need for more responsible waste management and, and a shift towards circular economy models, uh, a positive feedback loop. Uh, while challenges are still, it's still super challenging, and we're going to dig into this a little more, it has also spurred innovation and investment in domestic recycling infrastructure. Uh, so we're hoping that this actually starts to lead to better waste management on a global scale. Uh, so uh, but that kind of leads us into where our stuff is going now and why. Yep. That's all you, Eric. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I kind of really focused on... Uh, Three, three out of the out of all the stuff last week that we talked about the recycled, and I, I didn't do plastics, which we could do a whole episode on its own just about plastics. Yeah. Uh, so I did uh, paper, uh, metals, and then e-waste. Okay. And I'll start with the metals because that's one of the that's my mid that's my mid one because that's uh it's there we we are able to process metal at a much more efficient rate than uh, others, but we're still not doing a great job of it because we're generating about 150 million tons of scrap metal uh, and only about 45% of that is actually getting uh, reprocessed and back into the system as a new new product. Okay. So... And, and is there sort of a root cause of why we, we end up at 45% that you are able to identify or is it? Um, I think it's just, a, it's, it's, a, it's a cost thing. It's not cost effective to, to do all the, because um, with metal recycling, so you, you send the, the, your, your metal recycling to the dump and it gets sorted there into the different types, your cans, your aluminum, and et cetera. And then you, of course, you also have your bigger scrap, the big car scrap yards and other stuff that like separate out everything. And after it gets separated out, it then gets sent to a smelter or, well, usually smelter, where it then gets melted down, processed, uh, the impurities are removed or di through different processes, like, um, Copper gas to get copper and other precious metals like gold, silver, platinum are actually extracted through electro electrolysis, whereas things like steel is just melted down and then just repeatedly melted down, re uh, uh, let allowed to harden, broken out because the impurities will go to the outside of the metal. Okay. So like so, you'll basically uh, melt it cool it down, break it up so the impurities 
reheat it, then rinse and repeat until you get actual pure metal, which actually like Sounds steel has a very time consuming. Yeah, very time consuming. Uh, but like steel, seventy percent of all steel used in the U.S. is recycled. Oh, okay. So, and we're talking like construction to yep. uh, uh, axe handle or axe heads kind of thing. Yes. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yep, and um, that's pretty much metal. Like, so that is one that we're doing better. But could be doing a lot better because, like we, like I said, we're we're only at forty five percent, whereas like Europe, they're at seventy five percent of a reuse. Wow, that is impressive. Yep. I'm assuming they have a more established infrastructure. They uh, do, but they're also the other thing with with Europe is, um, it, and it comes comes out of the uh, what why Europe sent so much uh, colonialism around the world. Um, they don't have a lot of precious resources. Right, right. So they're kind of, they to keep their costs low and not have to import a lot of metals now that they don't control the world, uh, they, um, they have to reuse. Okay. Well, um, uh, I, I have mixed feelings on that. Yeah. Um, so, all right. I took you off track there. No, you didn't. We're, we're good. We're, we're, we're good. And then, so now we go to what I call the, the good, the good, on our recycling, and and that's paper. So we have, um, there are 60, 67 million tons of paper that is recycled, um, and then forty six million tons of that is able to be reprocessed. And put back into the system as reusable product. Okay. And we're starting to see a lot more of uh, recyclable packaging. Uh, you and I were talking about Legos uh, before the show, and they are switching. <clears throat> Among other things, there. I mean, we could do a whole episode on Lego right now, yes. but um, they they are changing their packaging. Amazon is they making are. some shifts to their packaging. It doesn't make Amazon any less evil, but yeah, they are. Uh, making recyclable envelopes and things like that. Yep. Yep. And then, paper. all right. So back, to, back to paper. So yes. Yeah, so um. So there's uh out of so out of the uh so the four million tons of it is ends up being just burned off. Okay. And leaves about seventy seventeen million tons still end up in the landfill because it's just it's. Too either degraded or, or um, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, contaminated right. to be able to be reprocessed. Well, and there is a certain element of making sure that these things are in the landfill, um, like food scraps uh, as yep. well, because uh, if it's just, you know, um, things that have been decycled so much that they don't even, you know, uh, uh, break down anymore you yep. you need other organic materials around well, that's them. A, so the, that's the interesting thing about paper is that it's not that it can't be broken down more it's that so when it when you when it gets to set so they they collect it at the dump and they separate it out by the different types your corrugated your mixed paper your newspaper high grade paper and then your pulp substitute papers they mm -hmm. all get separated out at the dump bailed up and then sent to the paper mill 
Right. And then the paper mill then breaks, then what they do is they break it down into pulp, and then until you get what's called the uh, the textile fibers, and every generation uh, of it being processed, those textile fibers get shorter and shorter and shorter until the uh, it's the seventh generation that they, the text, they get so short that they no longer can bind to each other any longer. Right. I'm simply pointing out that the, the, the increased effort to recycle and compost and all of those things are actually oh. having some damaging impact on our landfills because right. there's a lack of organic material in there to assist and create a, a, like an anaerobic environment where something might break down. Right, but I mean that's uh, we could do we we need to do an aerobic aerobic digestion episode actually. That's going to be in our compost episode. That'll be in our definitely because that's actually a huge thing. Is that that's that's one of the goals of reducing landfill waste is getting those organic and other materials to where we just have physical going into the dump. Right, right, but you know even my compost pile I can't do without paper. Uh, Right. You know, because we don't we don't get to cook year round here if you're doing it yeah. old school. Um, anyway, yes. So uh, yeah, it can, it can get processed seven times before it becomes so diluted that it can't it can't be it basically doesn't bind to itself anymore. Which at which point they just add new paper, right? Or okay, new newer pulp, I should right. say. Okay. And then, it, then it just keeps getting reused over and over and over again, and we're and we're just then and we're, so we just end this perpetual cycle of it getting reused. Unless I mean, basically, the only time it doesn't get reused is when it's cont- so badly contaminated that it has to either get burned or sent to the landfill. Right. Okay. So is this that sort of? Uh, gosh, I wish I had looked it up because now I'm thinking about it. Uh, you can't recycle a pizza box kind of thing. No, you can, no, you can. They actually, they can extract. They can actually break it down and get the when they pulpify it. They can actually like they have methods to pull the grease and such out if ne- if necessary because they can do it with they can do they can extract the depending on the quality and level they can extract inks from yeah. the pulp. They can extra- they they also they extra- they already extract all adhesives so like stuff like the adhesive on envelopes or sticky notes they can pull they can pull out. Yeah, I'm seeing here uh, on the American Forest and Paper Association, we're here to set the record straight. A study confirmed pizza boxes are recyclable by paper mills. Grease and cheese in an amount typically found on pizza boxes are not an issue for the recycling process. So, still gotta leave the you get you know take take the leftover slice out, but uh, yes. you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, well there we go. Yep. So we like that, and then I mean. I know myself, I am actually in the, the bad group because I'm part of the 4 million tons that burn burn their paper trash, which is taking taking resources out of the, out of the system. Uh, but at the same time, it saves me time and money. Right. Well, and, you know, technically, uh, I'm moving my resources to a different system by putting a lot of a lot of my cardboard and paper into the compost. Right. I'm just I'm just relocating it. Um, yeah. I don't burn very much. Every once in a while, like if my if I've skipped a day to to go to the transfer station or something, I might throw a box in the in the wood stove, but uh, predominantly I don't burn. 
Yeah, see, I, with me, I have to go all the way to Hartford to the dump the, to the dump to do mine, and I honestly, I'll wait till I have a good three or four bags of trash, and then my recycling. At that point, it's like if I did that, like paper waste is probably the one, one of the number one things I generate in my house. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's worse ways to produce. Uh, all right. What else we got? Uh, the bad. The bad. Okay. And that's uh, that's e-waste. Yeah, it's uh, so we have uh, 40 million tons of e-waste gen- generated annually currently, and that is expected to continue to rise exponentially over the next 10, 15 years. Because of just the rapid marketplace of electronics. Of everything becoming, I mean, we have, I mean, everything is electronic now, like right. everything. But, and things so, become obsolete very quickly. Exactly. Like they, one of the stats is the average American uh, recycles there or gets a new cell phone every 18 months. That blows my mind. Yep. So that's that's. So if we have th- we have 330 million American Americans, that's yeah, that's every 18 months. That's 300 million some odd cell phones going into the landfill, being down, and very little is actually being recycled and uh, repurposed. Like, people are just throwing away good cell phones. Like, oh, I upgraded, throw away the old one. Right, right. So, my, 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 my dumb stats, which I, I really wanted to throw a book at my, at my, st- this, this, this study, because it's just like, oh, this is so dumb, I hate it, uh, was that, Gen Z, out of the Gen Z and Millennials, uh, supposedly, and I want to put very anecdotally, supposedly, 60% didn't know what e-waste was, and 57% didn't realize it, it, what, that e-waste contributed to the, uh, to, uh, pollution. What, who did this study? I, I I can't I I think it was uh did you rage uh, did you rage quit the study I did rage quit like I, I okay. look at that like that is just that, that is <laughs> like no like Gen Z and millennials are the ones most aware of their e waste and the fact yeah. that like I mean Gen Z is the one bucking the trends and saying no we don't want to play your games that unfortunately mine your generation are not bucking it so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're getting old set in our ways. Uh, okay. So what else you got? Uh, right. and, cause, cause we want to talk about, uh, where our waste is going now. Yes. But so the, but so yeah, e-waste, so e-waste is the most telling of where our waste is, where our, our waste, cause most of it is actually now after Chinese China collapsed, it's, it is about like one to five percent of our recycling waste actually goes, gets shipped anywhere. Like going through the metal stuff, uh, only about a million tons or th- one to three million tons went to each country, and there's about five, ten countries that we export to. Okay. <laughs> but the uh, e waste is the one that we do send out and it's about 35 million tons we send to landfills and incinerators with only 5 million tons getting actually recycled and that 5 million tons is not being recycled here 
it is being sent to what we refer to as the Global South, which is places like Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, and other developing nations, which um, Ghana is the one, the country that receives the most e-waste. So I, I can't remember if it was privately or on the last episode, but I, I was very, I'm very unaware of this uh, uh, being an issue. Um, so, and I've kind of just, I'm kind of waiting to figure out why this is. So are they not actually recycling it? We're just sending it? No, we are sending it and we are recycling it, but it's not in, it is not in, the reason we have, we send it overseas to be processed is because the way to process it, they throw everything into a giant pile, they pour chemicals on it to help start breaking down the plastics, usually gasoline, and then they light it on fire. Oh, okay. So this is just the... down. And then after, and then after the fire goes out, they use they use this lovely thing called child labor to then pick through the ashes and pull out the pieces of silver, gold, platinum, silicon, and other that comes out of these burn piles. And so, the average worker gets paid about a dollar fifty a day. There's no PPE involved whatsoever and yet it's mainly child labor okay for those not in the know ppe personal protective equipment that would be gloves masks eye protection um reflective clothing if there's machines involved i mean this is like this this stuff is so toxic that you really should have um for i'm using military term here but mop level four level of protection like gloves Full body suit, mask, hood, tape up the wrists and everything because this stuff is toxic. ET, ET levels. Yes. Um, so, so this is not just a, a, like an environmental crisis, but this is a a moral crisis. Moral as, crisis, well, a human rights crisis. Yeah, it's really bad. I was I was uh, very unaware of this. I am not surprised by it. I am not shocked by it, but I am alarmed that even with my level of paying attention to things, I didn't really fully recognize it. Yep. Um, and uh, again, uh, I love reminding people we are armchair experts. There are things we are learning as we go here. So, uh, you know, this is this is one of those things. It's great to learn. And I hope if you did not know that you're learning, too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I, I want to throw my little 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 tiny bit of irony in there in the article I was reading uh, that gave me all the stats on like what the workers get paid, the fact that it is child labor and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the following paragraph was that the why we should recycle. Okay. With e-waste. And I'm just like, so first you do the article on or the first paragraph is very much saying, hey, this is what happens to your e-waste. It's bad. It's really bad. But you should still recycle your e-waste. <laughs> yes, I agree. But you just basically told me the, all the horrible things that happen when I recycle my e-waste. So what am I supposed to do? And there actually is a solution. Um, there are certified e-waste recyclers that are... Um, uh, 
both green and 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 like actually like they'll take a computer shell, break it down, use the like electrolysis to extract metals and whatnot from it, from it. And whereas uh, uncertified e-waste recyclers are the ones that are likely to be sending them to the global south. Okay. Uh, I could and I'm not assuming... find stats on what percentage of e-waste recyclers are actually certified versus uncertified. I'm going to guess it's low. It's, um... it is, it's, it's sadly low. Cause the, number, <laughs> I, I, the fact that I couldn't easily find the numbers was kind of telling on how it is. But I mean, there's a bunch of companies that say, yep, we are certified e e-waste and i looked at them and they do seem to do a good job because like it's like i figured out like the process that they use of like actually pulling the components apart uh getting the getting the stuff out they're not burning it because also with the burning they're also putting all those toxic chemicals into the air as exactly into the air as well into the air into the water into, into the, the everything into, exactly and generating back, microplastics uh, yeah well, oh god, this microplastics. Do we want? I want to quickly stop what we're working on and comment on the two studies that came out this week yes. on microplastics. Okay. Yeah. So first, uh, do you want to do yours first or do mine first? I don't. I didn't memorize it, so I don't want it. But I think it was something like forty-five billion nanoplastics in a liter of plastic uh, bottled water. Yep. Is that, then, is that uh, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, it's, it's something. It's ridiculous. And then the second study that came out found that ninety uh, percent of proteins, including veg vegetarian meat substitutes, all contain micro and macro plastics. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and when we start talking about things like the nanoplastics, we've talked about this before. This is stuff that can pass through the uh blood brain barrier this is stuff that can get into your cells it's yeah this is this is alarming. stuff that is smaller that it, i mean yeah it's smaller than a blood than a blood cell yeah yeah it's super scary um oh and they are actually they actually are um a, what is it oh, i can't think of the term but they're they're um they're attractors in your bloodstream so like the the if the piece is of the right size the blood, your blood cells clot, clot to the piece of plastic until, well, you get bad clots and bad things happen to you. Yeah. All right. Well, it's not one thing; it's another. We we got it past is. lead. Now we're at plastics. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm gonna... yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. I'm done with stats. Okay. I, I, I have to. I think I've depressed people enough today. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about the uh, sort of positive trend we've seen in Vermont over the last uh, decade, a little, little over a decade, uh, 12 years. And, uh, and then we can just kind of talk about uh, what's coming up next week. And I've got some, some kind of funny things that happened uh, this week. Um, so there's been a positive trend in Vermont. Uh, the recycling rate has steadily increased since the 2012 Universal Recycling Law. Uh, it's currently around 335%, which matches the national average, uh, but higher than its pre-law stagnant rate. Um, about 72% of recyclable materials avoid landfills now, uh, uh, indicating a good recovery efficiency. Oh, I want to actually uh, talk... That's, those numbers are going to start getting even better because of the uh, law they just passed this past week. 
the bottle redemption law that they're actually they're increasing the amount you get for bottles and they're adding a whole slew of different bottles to the list like uh your like the like your the the, the water bottles that we were just talking about that that contain microplastics mm-hmm. uh, those are not inc- we're, we're we're not included that are now going to be included in the what you can get a nickel or the nickels and other form okay cool um so now so resource conservation in vermont is a major thing whether it's uh recycling our trees a couple other things we were talking about before the show uh recycling saves valuable resources like paper aluminum and glass conserving energy and reducing pollution from virgin material extraction uh which is it's just it's just all good Uh, you know the since this law went into place in 2012 uh it is it has only gone up uh in numbers uh, there's also been increased food rescue. Uh, food scrap drop-off programs are expanding, diverting organic waste from landfills. I have mixed feelings on this, uh, and potentially helping fight food insecurity, uh, which I, I didn't follow through on that, but uh, I can only assume it's just helping uh, people uh, compost and and be more conservative at home. Yeah, like we were saying, we were going to do when we do our composting, we'll go into the growing. Because, um, like, when when the law first passed, the big concern, because like, basically the dumps were collecting those food scraps, but they were basically just getting dumped back into the landfill because they're like, we have nothing. Like, it's great that you want us to collect this stuff. We have nothing to do, we can do with it. Um, yeah. But now there's getting to be uh, aerobic digesters. Are mm-hmm. coming up. Um, more uh, organic farms are using it for their own. I know. Products. Yeah, at and my I, at my transfer station, it goes to a a, a compost company in 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 the area. I think yep. so. Uh, in Corinth, maybe. Um, uh, let's see. So you know, so we're st- you know, it, this is all positive. This is all good, but there are still challenges. The national market fluctuation, like the collapse of China affected vermont and and really highlighted yeah, well, the need for local and places, regional because yeah we don't have places to process here like yes we have sorting facilities right but everything is getting exported um i know a lot of the paper ends up going up to maine mm-hmm. and um, i i i really wish i looked at the numbers of where stuff actually goes because it doesn't it does not stay here in vermont like the compost well, does but everything else gets sent elsewhere. Sent, sent elsewhere. Yeah. So it, 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 the the major challenge is investing in new technologies and infrastructure uh, to take care of these things, yes. and and to increase public awareness. Not everybody recycles correctly, uh, even in this day and age. You know. Uh, you know. I've I've had it beat into my head since I was a teenager, um, but you know, recycling to some people is still pretty new of a concept and you know the the fact that you're mandated to do it um doesn't mandate you to learn how to do it uh yeah, and so unfortunately, like i i be, having come from down south and living down south it, there is they really don't down there yeah and they actually i mean and every time i go down there to visit visit friends family it always asks like hey what should i do with my bottles And they're just like we'll put it in the trash Right. Like, yeah. You don't recycle. I'm like, no, of course not. I'm like, our, our neighboring state of New Hampshire does not recycle. No. So if you are 
you know, if you have a soda bottle or, or can or something and you're walking into the grocery store, there is one can. And it has everything in it from probably dirty diapers to soda cans to, you know, food packaging. Uh, and, and it all goes to the same place. One other thing on that, the, even Vermont companies, mm-hmm. um, the Vermont microbreweries are, are a horrible example of this. They will they will brew two different sets of cans. Yes. They will do a Vermont or a recyclable state cans which have like that thing on the top you see of the vtca blah 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 blah, of recyclables and then they make the ones that go to new hampshire and other states that don't do nickels and they they they, they don't have anything on the on the lid yeah so you know it's it's a real mixed bag uh recycling in vermont um and globally as as eric pointed out like there's a lot that isn't happening there's a lot that is being swept under the rug, um, but overall, it in Vermont particularly, it shows promise. Uh, we, we there's that pilot program uh, for styrofoam going on in the Northeast Kingdom. We recently learned about. Uh, mm-hmm. It'd be great to see that in other areas. Um, but uh, there are like styrofoam drives where you can bring styrofoam, which is just a whole thing um and then they will take it to a proper recycling center uh where it can be reused um but we need more policies we need more government intervention uh this bottle law is fantastic but it is a drop in the bucket for what we can be doing as a state we need scientific innovation to bring bring the cost of processing down to where it is profitable for companies to do it That is the major problem just across the whole thing is that it's not cost effective to recycle it because of the cost. I mean, like, look at the e-waste. Like, it's like there's a reason it gets sent to those countries to get processed because that's the cheapest way to do it. Right. It's if you have to pay somebody 15, 20 dollars an hour to do this work plus pay for all the PPB, PPE plus making sure that it's environmentally friendly. You're not right. releasing chemicals in the environment. It becomes so cost ineffective that nobody wants to take on that burden. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Which uh, is why China had is which unfortunately that's why China was taking so much. Cause they're like, Hey, we have cheap labor. We can yeah. process this cheaply and, and it's, but we need to, yeah. So we need the technology to, uh, make leaps and bounds uh, to really bring us into the 21st, 31st century of recycling. Yeah, and that's why we're, uh, you know, as, as I'm learning here, we, we started diverting so much to the uh, Global South. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Uh, I do want to say uh, real quick before we get into the homestead and stuff, is that a broom of broken shovels hanging over there in the corner? I, I can see it like a ah, I recognize it, that it, stitching. It's hanging on. It's hanging with the rest of my uh, my, my fireplace tool stuff. Yes. <laughs> great, wonderful, and you got to hang it. Um, yes, yes, yes. I wish so, it was more. I wish it was more out out there, but I also don't ever have company. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a whole bunch of people coming tomorrow. Um, got the budget meeting for the Chelsea Farmers Market. So Ooh, fun, fun, yeah. fun, fun. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I do want to, so we've had a couple of storms back to back here in Vermont. Uh, uh, not 
terrible, but uh, this most recent one, both of them brought a lot of wind. Uh, mm-hmm. And this most recent one knocked out power for about 20,000 people in for Green Mountain Power. I don't know the numbers for Washington Electric. Yeah, uh, we, um, we, the first one we got, we, we were prepared for the worst and the worst never came. Yeah, yeah, and it's so funny. One, I, I, it, it, it was, uh, we had stuff up in your area that uh, I had power alarms that stuff went down because of power. Right. But as soon as power was restored, everything thus far is cleared. Yeah, uh, it was actually a pretty pretty successful storm as far as these go. Uh, everybody's been really sort of expecting what happened back in uh, 2021, 22, 22. Uh, there was a pretty horrible storm that I think I was without power for close to a week. Um, yeah, that was yeah, the, the week before Christmas storm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would have been 22. No. Yeah, because I worked oh, yeah. through Christmas on that one. Um, and uh, so it's – so we lost power for uh, 11 hours or something like that, you know, and it was daytime. So, you know, Meg worked on our projects and I read a book and we just kind of loafed around, didn't really do much. I didn't even clear uh, the snow because I looked at the forecast and I saw that we were going to get so much more wind that it was pointless because it was all just going to blow back into the driveway. So I actually just cleared today. So instead of doing it twice, I conserved fuel and I did it once. What would have taken me a half tank of diesel took me a quarter tank of diesel uh, and not only saved me a couple bucks, but, you know, it reduces my emissions just that little bit by thinking forward uh, instead of reacting. Um, And so that was, you know, it was colder today, but it was also drier. So uh, it was kind of (laughs) – it was, uh, you know, it was a good thing. And the driveway was clear now. Um, but the most, the most fun thing we did during the storm is we actually baked a cake on top of our wood stove, uh, which is something we had never done before. Um, Meg had decided we, we had a feeling we were going to lose power and it flickered a couple of times and Meg was like, oh crap, I want a cake. <laughs> and she starts baking a cake and then halfway through baking it, the oven, you know, is electric, you know, it has an electric control panel. Uh, so the power goes out, the oven goes out. Uh, so quick thinking we grabbed a dutch oven uh, one of our larger dutch ovens and we put like a little cooling rack in the bottom of it like a trivet and we set it on, and we closed it up and we set it on top of the wood stove and finished baking the cake uh and it came out lovely we have a lovely chocolate cake with a black currant jam center uh and uh yeah it's really good and the currants are from the garden um, nice. so but yeah just total fun and we, we you know something i i'm gonna sort of talk about more is are realizing and, and sort of that conservancy of fuel and thing. Uh, we're, we're going to be cooking more on our wood stove in the winters. Uh, we, we started experimenting with it last year. You know, I, I did baked potatoes on the wood stove uh, on top and uh, a couple other things. And we're just going to start doing that more uh, because it just, it, why use two different sources of heat? for the same thing yeah. for, for different oh, things. That actually reminds me, I just, I saw something, I can't think of it. It was this past week on Reddit, a person who was getting salt water from the ocean and then boiling it down on their wood stove. Yes. Get fresh. They have both. It's, they call it their, it killed two birds with one or kill two birds, two birds with one stone. Cause they humidified their house. Right. And they have fresh ocean ocean salt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be careful. Yeah, ocean salt's got a very interesting taste to it. Yes. Um, 
but it might be useful. You know, I don't know that I would put ocean salt on my food necessarily that I process myself, but yeah, I you, use you know, it. There's a little extra processing you really want to do to it to get the because. Uh, We've talked about the chemicals that make it into the ocean in the past and how nasty ocean water actually is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, it was kind of a fun storm for us in the power outage way. We were prepared and we were able to pivot. And, uh, you know, that's that's just such an important thing when you're when you're out and you're, you're trying to uh, be less reliant on uh, the systems that uh, extract value from you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anything fun out of the storm for you? Just the normal? Just the normal. We didn't really have, I mean, it really didn't affect the network that badly. So I just kind of like prepared for the worst and had the best happen. Okay. Well, and next week on the show, we're going to talk about uh, snow. And yep. uh, and sort of how it's changing, uh, not only here, but around the country and around the world. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk locally about how the snow and our roads interact in, Verm in, rural, in rural Vermont. Uh, yes. So we will save mud season for a whole other episode, but we might get some yes. teases in there. Um, yes, because I, I actually, did you see the thing on r slash um, Vermont about how Vermont has the lowest the lowest contribution from taxes to roads, uh, only beaten by, uh, I think it's Alaska. No kidding. I'm not surprised. Yep. Not surprised. Yeah, not surprising. Our roads are in relatively poor, poor, poor condition, except mm. for the what? Except for the highway, and that's funded federally. Federally, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, if you'd like to reach out, if you have some opinions about roads, road crews, road maintenance, some experience as uh, uh, an individual who works on them, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Brokenshovel802 at Gmail. Uh, and you can find all the places. Uh, basically, just Google Broken Shovel 802. Um, and if you head over to the Facebook page, guess what? There's a coupon code uh, for 10% for off of a broom. Uh, but you got to have to join the Facebook page. Uh, and uh, yeah, just Google Broken Shovel 802. You can find us everywhere. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, you guys are great. <laughs> uh, anything to add Eric before we say goodbye here nope I don't have anything I'd like to find that I want to find that guy that uh, posted the very well written article about uh, why how the roads be the way the roads are being maintained and that the how the funding how a lot of the road funding is being funneled to uh, the Lake Champlain cleanup and uh, in some of the practices being done with the like the ditching and such. Well, yes. So that was a neighbor of mine, Suzanne, who did that. Uh, yeah. I sent you the screenshot of where they shared it in the listserv as well. Yes. Uh, so that we'll, we'll, we should have a screenshot of that uh, in or our the, messages. Or the link will be in the, the link will be in the in the review for next week's episode. Yes. Yes. So we will have to find the article. Uh, I believe it yes. was in Digger. Well, I believe it was in Digger, yes. But it was really, really well done. It really kind of breaks down well, like, what's going on with our... And it, it was more focused on the dirt roads than the main roads. Yes. But the dirt roads, we have, like, what is it, 60% of our roads are dirt or something? I believe so. And we'll dig into the statistics of that next yeah. week. But, yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. So... 
Uh, but yeah, uh, talk to everybody next week. Happy Tuesday. Uh, and uh, enjoy yourselves. Later. Go start shopping for seats. Yes.